This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome to Plato's Cave, a RRR film criticism show and podcast. Tonight is our first of two very special editions of Plato's Cave. We are covering the Melbourne International Film Festival, a.k.a. MIF. So we've got about 15 films to get through as opposed to our regular three. Um, I'm Sally Christie and joining me tonight is Lisa Kovacevic, Stuart Richards and a big welcome back to Emma Westwood. Oh my god, I missed you. <laughs> missed you as well. Missed yous. Missed yous. I felt like our parents just abandoned us when you it, and Cerise left. It was a bit like that. Terrible. Wasn't it terrible. But then it got fun. What yeah, interesting like thing. We yeah. had so many house parties. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had friends over and everything, and you don't even know. <laughs> what weird parents you have, Emma and Cerise. <laughs> Through that. What cool parents yeah, you cool, have. Cool. Yeah, cool, cool. <laughs> and how are we all feeling? Are we all exhausted from MIF already, which started Thursday night? We were all at the opening night gala. Yes. Um, so let's chat a little bit about that. How was that for everybody? Shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I am f- shellacked. <laughs> I'm still recovering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. hectic. It was hectic. <laughs> it, it was hectic. It was great. It was a great vibe. I think it went. I went through till the end. Yeah, I don't think you yeah. guys did. I, I didn't make it till the end. I almost did. I think that. I think we did a really good stint. Yeah. We, you could by the time we were the, some of the last people there. Let's just say that. What, you don't were. You think? Yeah. yeah. Except I for the so. hour you spent looking for your handbag, <coughs> yeah. Lisa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Annoying anyway. person that moved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good night. Lots of drinks and fun to be had. Yeah, it was what good did, fun. What did you think of the the uh, the film to open the festival? Um, I believe my review at the after party was boy or oh boy. <laughs> Boy can Jack Gyllenhaal wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> he wears the pants in that household. No, not in that way. Just oh. they were very tight. tight. Oh, I they noticed that. Yeah. Okay. I do notice those things. It, wildlife. It's not. I think it's done its run at me. If it's not screening again, but um. It It'll was... come up again, though, I think, yeah, Sally. Definitely. It will. Maybe it will. you should save your juiciness uh, no, for it. it. I, I will save my oh, juiciness. Oh, okay. It, we was, may it, it, it felt mm. like... um. Odd choice for an opening night film. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, so it's, it stars Kerry Mulligan and Jake mm. Gyllenhaal. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's a shame. It's, it's certainly didn't seem like a bad film at all, but mm. everyone's had a few cocktails and everyone's a bit excited. There were some incidents. That there were some incidents. <laughs> it was very funny. I turned into a teenager in that theatre. I just couldn't stop Everyone giggling. I, and it was a very serious film. I, and then I, I just, I'm also normally one of those people that if someone starts laughing in a cinema, yeah. I'm just like, shut I, up. Oh. But um, I was like, this is fine. I lost yeah. it and it was quite funny. I think the people upstairs, we were in the front row for some reason and I was with my best friend from school who also works in radio and stuff and so I had those, you know, those giggles, those yes. high school giggles. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> mm-hmm. We had to walk out to get some fresh air and just gather ourselves and come oh, back. No. It was a bit too serious for, for everyone was a bit sort of ready for a party. <laughs> now now, now yeah. sit down and watch a serious film set in Montana in I, the I 60s. I very much felt like that. I felt like if I had have watched it in a different context, I would have got a lot more, out, more of out of it. Yeah, yeah. It was but, very um, beautifully shot. Like, there yeah. were some lovely moments. Incredibly When shot. they see the wildfire, that was really great. Oh, it was beautiful. Our Ed Oxenbold was wonderful in yeah, it. Yeah, great. Aussie Ed. Yes. Aussie Ed. I, he did a great job, He did, I actually. I mm. loved it in the theatre. They had some sound issues upstairs. <laughs> and 
it's so Australian. You know, we're going to this sort of glamorous event and there's people upstairs going, turn it up! And oh! it just, just snowballed and everyone's screaming. It became this like ochre event all of a but sudden. Everyone's in their finery on the red carpet or blue carpet and then it was just, turn it up! Everyone was yelling, turn it up! And then there's this one voice, I love you, Jay! <laughs> <laughs> was that you, Stewie? No, I was downstairs. <laughs> but opening all night was lots of fun, but lots it did fun. leave me feeling quite shabby for the next day. But the first, <laughs> the first screening I got along to on Friday was Let the Corpses Tan, which was, um, sorry, which is Helena Cartier and Bruno Ferenzi's new film. Um, and... It was so worth crawling out of bed with a hangover for. Like, it was just absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, they are both here. I think they have a screening of their shorts at 9.15 tonight if anybody is interested in going along. Um, but, yeah, we, MIF have had a retrospective of their work. So they've had a mirror and... The Strange Colour strange color of, of Your Body's Tears was yeah. screened last night. Mm. And they've been doing Q&As with all their films and they're a really gorgeous couple of filmmakers and I've been along to most of the screenings and hearing them is so interesting. But um, Let the Corpses Tan made my heart sing. It was everything about why I love cinema, really. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you seen A Mare and... Um, yes. Strange Way? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So... How did you feel in in comparison to those films? Because there may be some people who have seen or will have the opportunity to see all three. Yeah, well, uh, their previous works are giallo films, which I love, Um, and this is definitely Spaghetti Western. I'm much more familiar with giallo cinema than I am with Western cinema. But this, you know, just those risks in film-taking that we don't see... uh, Sorry, not film-taking, filmmaking, (laughs) that we we don't see so much anymore. Um, You know, just the way they frame things was just really remarkable. Yeah, they're they're very... They're kind of as experimental as I get. I'm sort of more a classic narrative girl, I must say. But I was... When I first saw Amir eight years ago, um, I was blown away by that as an experience. Yeah. I thought it was it was flawed. It wasn't a perfect film, but still, the, it, it, it was it was riffing on film history, European film yep. history, and creating a whole new modern film language out of it, which was just so exciting. And also riffing on a, um, a European film history that I love. So that always helps mm. as well. I went to the screening of a mayor on Saturday night and um, they both, Helena and Bruno, both sat through the entire screening. Oh, did they? Yep, and watched the film that they said that it was the first time they've watched it in about 10 years. And um, they talked about their experiences of watching it afterwards and, you know, what sort of flaws they've seen in it and what they would change, if they would change anything. So that was a really interesting yeah. experience. What a great experience to be there. Yeah, it was. It was mm. really, yeah, it's, nice it's to interesting sort of see watching cause it. Because Amir plays in three parts and um, they talked after the screening last night with um, Strange Colour and they talked, or Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears, I should, uh, I should say that because there's another Strange film Colour, called yeah. Strange Colours. Um, they, they, they mentioned how, well, Amir is like three stories and then um, Strange Colours of Your Body is, is they, they originally wanted it to be an anthology and you could see that because it was a whole lot of little intersecting stories. Uh, I think that Let the Corpses Tan is probably their best uh, attempt. I felt that it worked as a film much better more for me as a feature film much more accessible I think than that everyone work, is yeah. in for a treat 
who will go to the shorts mm-hmm. tonight because they really are beautifully structured for shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, Let the Corpses Tan, though, is um, it starts with that they're really high on editing, these guys. This film, they're they edit like, the shit out yep, of their films. They're amazing. And it started with that fragmented editing and you're kind of getting into the feel of it and then it came into the the western kind of standoff and i was totally sucked in like i was sucked into the narrative they managed to create this whole new film language that had um great narrative styling yeah, as well just just everything about it was incredibly beautiful i could go on and on and about a, it and alina lowenson who's um know. you know from hal hartley's she's amateur and naja and movies. and she's now an older amazing woman yeah you she know? owned the film she was excellent in it but Stu, what did you see first shoplifters the palm d'or winner yeah palm d'or winner a, yeah so i saw that, that saturday afternoon uh, so it's Hirokazu Koreeda's film. Um, his other film, The Third Murder, is also in this year's program. Um, I loved this film. It's such a beautiful story of family. Um, and I this is my first time crying in myth this year. Um, so... Yeah, it's a really powerful film. It's a sort of it's a family who is sort of it's a family of choice made up of outcasts. Um, and the usual Coriator thing. Yeah. He loves a bit of family <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's about um, and so they find a young girl who's been abused and um, they decide to sort of rescue her and sort of have her part of their family and that sets off um, a series of events um, and it makes each of them question what family means to them. Um, and what it means to be a parent. Um, and the performances are incredible. Uh, yeah, it's a really, really touching film. And mm. so now I, w- I haven't seen The Third Murder, and so now I really want to go. We will talk about The Third Murder next y- next week. Stay tuned. And that's mm. a little bit same, same, but different. Mm. And Lisa, you did you kick off with The Green Fog? I did. That was the first one I, I saw. And this was, um, this is a bit more, it's pastiche filmmaking. It's very similar to a film we reviewed earlier in the year called uh, Terra Nullius, which was made by Soda Jerk, the, the duo from Sydney, um, and has been screening at Acme up until a couple of weeks ago, I think. I loved Terra Yeah, we both it's, did. Yep, it, on my top ten films yeah, this year so far. This yep. one isn't for me. Um, it, it, it was billed as sort of like a reworking of um, Hitchcock's Vertigo, um, which, you know... Our that, title music. Our title music, which, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So it really... And, I mean, it had me at Vertigo. I love... That's one of my favourite films as a, as a kid growing up. I loved that. Um, and so I was quite excited about this. It was... It's Guy Madden and it was um, commissioned by uh, the San Francisco International Film Festival. Um, they commissioned it to close their 60th anniversary. And basically what he and um, his collaborators have done is they've collected all this sort of archival film um, footage, and not just film, it's like old movies, TV shows, film clips. I think even, um, oh, what was, oh God, now I'm going to draw a blank, but uh, the, the pop group from the late 90s. Anyway, really bizarre little pieces thrown in there and advertising commercials but it's all um, San Francisco centric um, and it just made me realise how many roof chases has, have happened in San Francisco <laughs> over the last 50 years. Uh, it's quite remarkable but the, 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 the body of work that they pull from is incredible. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it doesn't, I mean, there's no real narrative. What they do, uh, uh, to, to draw a parallel to Vertigo, I think, is drawing a long bow. I mean, there's one scene that they use from that film. It's that scene um, at the top of the roof of the ladder just before Jimmy Stewart puts his hands up and it, the, the hands into frame. But in this, the hands never enter the frame, which is kind of cool because it's sort of building on that tension of noir, like what's going to happen next. And that's all it is. It's sort of like a parody of the genre of noir. Um, interestingly, there's very little to no dialogue in this so there are you know scenes from um, really well-known films and it's just just before say Humphrey Bogart speaks it, it just sort of pauses at those weird inflections so people there's like these strange breaths are repeated constantly so it's like <laughs> Like that that's pretty much the film. Like there's no not not very little to no dialogue. Because, um, yeah, that's like with Terra there was a narrative that absolutely. they had picked up on. And they would, and, and they had themes. Like they yeah. were talking about Australian masculinity, Australian yeah. identity, and it was really interesting to tell to to use our um the fabric of our, you know, cultural pop you know, materials mm-hmm. to sort yeah. of to, to critique that. But I don't feel that, yeah, this doesn't do any of that. But it's it's fun. You know, I think if you're a cinephile, you'll love it because it draws on so much um, of film history. Uh, but it's just sort of a romp, really. Like it's, it's, you know, and it goes for 60 minutes. So if you're seeing a lot of films at MIF, it's kind of a nice one to break up your viewing. Um, yeah, yeah, but there was some interesting, there was a really funny Chuck Norris homage in it, I have to say, <laughs> where he's kind of um, uh, incongruous. He sort of turned into like a white knight trapped in a nightmare figure, which is really funny given that he's this B-grade, you know, action hero. (laughs) So that was quite good. But, yeah, look, I mean, it wasn't great for me, but it was interesting. It's it's, it's nice to have something sort of a bit more different and artistic like that. But I I feel like these sorts of um, pastiche films... uh, they belong in a gallery as opposed to a to a, a theatre. I think mm. for me, you know, I think that works really well for Terra Nullius and yeah. and I, I think that um, the Green Fog would probably um, do better in a gallery setting rather than in a theatre. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of screenings on um, ones this Wednesday and ones on Sunday if anyone's keen to get along. And Emma, you also have seen this week Zama, the French film. Zama, Argentinian. Oh, well, it's, it's it got French. French money. It's actually, okay. you know, one of those cross-continental things. Are, yeah. things. But um, Lucretia Martel, who made it, is an Arti- uh, Argentine, Argentinian. <laughs> she's got Argentina. <laughs> uh, she's an Argentinian filmmaker. Uh, she, I feel really bad because she's a big black hole in my viewing, um, but she's really venerated by a lot of people. She did The Headless Woman and The Holy Girl which have both screened at MIF. This is adapted from, from a novel and it's set in South America. It's the colonialist time, the Spanish coming into South America and spreading their colonialist roots out there and it kind of follows. Zama is the name of a character who's um, the magistrate there and... Uh, and it has kind of this feel. Zama's kind of a bit of a um, top of the top of the tree loser, I call him, <laughs> because he is the top of the tree. There is, you know, he's coming in from on high, and um, but nothing seems to be going his way, and he's kind of really losing his sense of self and um, his sanity, really. And he ends up going on a voyage as part of it. So it really riffs on. It's got that feeling of those Herzog films with my my favorite crazy Klaus Kinski. Fitzcarraldo <laughs> and Agira Wrath of God. Um, even a bit of Apocalypse Now. And then there was another film that came out uh, oh, a couple of years ago, actually, the Chiragera film, uh, Embrace of the Serpent. It, it really feels like that, where it goes into, <laughs> it goes into almost um, 
Embrace of the Serpents kind of goes into a drug haze and this goes into a more him going tropo, if you know what I mean. Um, but really an amazing vibe, amazing uh, kind of incongruence of imagery, the Native Americans versus these colonials and they're al- also the colonials who are there are very corrupt and they're very far away from home and Zam is just desperate to get home and it's how he's kind of thwarted at every move and it is really you know you feel really quite spent by the end of it but it's an excellent film yeah i think there's another screening of zama on tuesday oh sorry not tuesday on the 12th on the 12th That's That's sunday. Oh, sunday sunday next yeah. sunday <laughs> um, i don't know we... what tuesday that is for yeah, you but <laughs> I'm, I'm in myth universe so everything's confused for me at the moment you are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. Another one of the sidebars that's happening at MIF this year is fashion on film. So I think we've got some great titles coming out. Paris is Burning is happening Thursday. I know, Emma, you wanted to have a bit of a chat about a couple of the titles. For yeah, fashion a, cu- on film. a couple of the titles, although it's so overwhelming because there's so much good they're all shit really in good. this. Yeah, really, yeah. really, really good <laughs> stuff. And they're, they're all kind of coming up now. They haven't played yeah. yet. So um, something like um, The Wind. Women, uh, George Kukor's The Women, which is black and white. I will say it's a black and white film. I'll explain why in a minute. 1939 it was made, a very, very good year for film. Now, if you think about it, um, The Wizard of Oz came out in 1939, which was the ultimate colour movie. Mm. And what's really interesting about The Women and why they've... Um, They've actually probably programmed it as part of this um, this fashion on film section is because um, it has a little kind of breakaway moment in the middle of the film where the women go to a fashion parade and they present the fashion parade in colour. So it's just within this this um, mm. the black and white film and it's absolutely gorgeous. But it is based on a play and um, it's all women cast. The men are mentioned, but men are never seen. So it's people like Norma Shearer, who plays kind of the cockolded wife in it. My girl Joan. I love Joan Crawford. Rosalind Russell, (laughs) Joan Fontaine. And it's very, very rapid fire dialogue, super fast, super sassy. Will probably play out really interestingly in a modern sensibility. But, um, you know, just leave all that crap aside and just enjoy this film. Um, It's just wonderful also because they all go to Reno to get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) I had to look that up. I didn't realise Reno was a place you went for quickie divorces at a certain time. Yeah, yeah. So it's hilarious. They all go off to Reno to get divorced. And if you have a look at the trailer before you see the film, it's, it's hilarious because it's like the women... And uh, it's all about men, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's 1939, people. Remember this. And we've also got Funny Face in... Oh, and Funny too. Face is just... Uh, everyone has to see this film at least once a year. It just will help you with your sanity. It's yep. a beautiful, beautiful movie. So comfortable. Uh, c- uh, colourful, I should say. Oh, I'm comfortable with it. Uh, <laughs> 1957, Stanley Donnan, Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire... Slightly creepy, most people see because he's kind of Fred Astaire falls in love with her and he's like 900 years older than her, and he kind of discovers her as a model, a fashion model. But really, there's nothing weird, they don't root or anything like that, so you're <laughs> all okay, people. 
It's okay. It's the first time we've used the term root on Playhouse Cave. Oh, Emma. <laughs> and, really, and really Fred Astaire just spends his time sort of skipping after her the whole time and trying to catch up with her. But it's, it goes to Paris. It's a musical. It's just beautiful. I've got it in my own library so I can watch it all the time uh, every year. Speaking of going from not rooting to rooting is um, a very stark contrast. <laughs> um, Holiday, which I watched quite recently, which is, is That's about... a very stark it, it is a very, very stark contrast. Good segue. <laughs> the, the rooting and not rooting. The, the, the colourfulness. Speaking of rooting, well, I, I think it's Isabella Eckloff's debut film and um, it's pretty breathtaking it's very tense i it's basically about a young woman and she does look very young the entire film who is on a lavish holiday with her you know partner or not partner that is you know essentially a drug dealer and a group of friends um and it's this weird play on masculinity and power and this uneasiness that is throughout the whole film. Um, I, I really enjoyed this. It was very unsettling. It was very unnerving. I went into it not really knowing anything about it, and I think that really <laughs> helped my too. viewing experience. I'm so excited too. To there was see even this. moments where I had see hands it. over my mouth going. <gasps> this, play, this played at this played at Sydney as well. And you look at the, all the um, the promotional, the imagery from this, the promotional imagery really stays with you. I remember at the the launch when they were showing some of the the stills from some of the headliners, the image for this came up and the entire group gasped. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's stunning. It's worthwhile. It's and I don't want to say this putting people off, but people should know that there is an incredibly graphic rape in it, Mm. and um, it shouldn't put you off. I think what the the really clever thing that Isabella Eckloff does with this film is she makes it pretty enough that you can that scene itself, but the whole film palatable enough that you can deal with this scene but the scene is very echoes of um irreversible i thought it was because i I knew that there was going to be this rape scene in it i went that was the one thing that that. i knew about it so it was the one thing that i was kind of waiting for um the one i guess what is difficult about this film is that rape scene in a lot of ways is very realistic um where you go okay i can you know just see that happening and then them going on with their lives afterwards, yeah, yeah. which is, I, I think, you know, quite distressing as well. Mm, but it doesn't, it doesn't play her out as just a victim. It's no, like absolutely it, not. It, it, it's interesting because it also riffs on a lot of materialism. Like there seems to be, even though we could say she's stuck in that circumstance, she still chooses to be in that circumstance. It's a really, it kind of, it plays with your mind in that way. Mm. It's there, a very controversial thing to say, but mm. that's what the film is actually pitting at. Dialogue around that too. Yes, that kind of choice. Absolutely, of where you absolutely. Want to be at any given time. Absolutely, but this yeah. is like you know. Uh, I really think that as a debut film, this is a masterclass in filmmaking. It's. It's. It remind me. There was also a bit of the sexy beast about it. Yes, did you sexy see that beast, as spring well? Spring breakers, like yeah, because it's kind of the wealthy on this. I think it's in Bodom, which is on the Turkish um, Riviera, essentially. And there's a bit of that kind of high life, living the high life, but they're thugs, and it's dirty, mm. and that that dirtiness to it. Sensational film. Yeah, it was mm. sensational. And 
Lisa and Stewie, you both have seen Cold War, yep. I believe. Well, it wouldn't be a film festival without a bleak European post-war Absolutely love story, not. would it? <laughs> Ticks a lot of boxes. And you found it. We found it. I'll get Stewie to intro it, though, because have you done the research on the pronunciations too? I have. Okay, take it um, away. Shout out to my friends in Poland who put me up. Um, so Pavel Pavlovsky, uh, he got the Best Director Prize at Cannes and his other film, Ida, got the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film a few years ago. Uh, so it uh, follows uh, Victor, who is a pianist, and he's putting together a folk music troupe um, to, I guess, sort of engage a bit of cultural diplomacy and kind yeah. of promote Polish culture. Um, and it's there that he meets the much younger Zula, um, who's a very fiery singer with an attitude. Um, and they sort of form this sort of epic love story where it's one of those sort of romances where they can't stand to be together but they also can't stand being apart from mm. each other mm. and it sort of it spans 15 years it's a very over several countries it's very musical so so it, musical stunning so there's all yeah. of this like stunning and exquisite uh, sort of scenes featuring Polish folk music and dancing. Yeah. But then there's also all this jazz. And, and there's these there's... Soviet-era hymns and French-inflected jazz. Yeah. So much, isn't And then it? Rock, and, uh, rock Around the Clock, yeah. uh, where um, it uh, sort of recalls um, that dance sequence around the pool table in Vivre Savi, hmm. which I only just found out about today scrolling through Twitter. Um yeah, really stunning film. Uh, beautifully shot. Beautifully shot. It's actually, it's actually. I looked it up because it's actually shot in Academy Ratio monochrome, um, mm. which is the old, the old for the thirty-five mil that they used to shoot in. So it does have this really old-world cinematic feel to it, which I actually found incredible, and I, I, I loved this film. So mm. I didn't expect to love it. Yeah. Um, I'm not really into those sort of, you know, factory dramas from the, <laughs> from the Soviet Union, but, um, but I, I thought that this was. Yeah, remarkable filmmaker. It reminded me a lot of one of his... So this filmmaker um, worked a lot in the UK for for many years and he did this film called My Summer of Love back in, I think it was like 2004, um, which which actually launched Emily Blunt's career. Mm. It's this really interesting indie film. Um, it was about this sort of, I guess it's like a lesbian relationship thing. It's beautiful and it has a lot of the same themes in, in this film. So I, I, yeah, I really, I was really taken by it uh, and surprisingly so. I just didn't, ex- I just, <laughs> I usually try and avoid this kind of, these kind of genres at the film festival. They drag me down. I'm glad you took the leap, though, I took the leap, Lisa. yeah, yeah. And you made a discovery. That's what it's all about, yeah, people. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, yeah, this is my, this is the, it's the, I think the third film I've, I, I saw at the festival so far on the Friday and I think it's my bit, my favourite so far. Yeah, I may too. have peaked really early. You did three in a row on the Friday, I know. Right after the opening night party, went to the region three in a row. Sat in the dark I love that day. you actually know what you were looking at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am a survivor. Um, but it is a, it's a very slow moving film. There was just so There's one really beautiful sequence where they're on, I can't remember what, River they're on but they're going down the river on a boat and it's just this just this tra- uh, tracking shot along the river at night and it's it's just stunning on the big screen it is yeah and he's very good at social realism mm. and even though it's a period piece it feels very contemporary yeah. but it doesn't it, it doesn't belie it's it's era that it's mm. set in and it, he's very good at that it, this is actually based on his parents yes. um romance or mm. not romance <laughs> <laughs> lack of romance lack of romance yeah but it is very romantic though it is incredibly uh, this 
I actually think it's quite an amazing film. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if it doesn't get something at the Oscars. Mm. I think it's amazing. I mean, the, the, the apartment they have, the rooftop apartment they have in Paris, where it's just these sort of giant windows overlooking the roofs of Paris, it's just stunning. Really beautiful filmmaking. Yeah, Cold I could War live is, in that film. <laughs> is one of the headliners at MIFF this year. And another highly anticipated one from their documentary section is Three Identical Strangers. Yes. Um, the doco <coughs> section of MIFF is one of my favourite sections. I know that you and I have both seen this, Lisa. Yes. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the premise, I mean, I love a good doco with a so twist, you know. Mm. Um, I'm a, I love things like Capturing the Freedmen's or the jinx or these sort of, those sorts of things are like meditations on truth. I really enjoy all that. Um, and this sort of had the, all the hallmarks of that kind of a documentary. There's a lot of buzz around it. Everybody that um, asked me, oh, what are you seeing at me? What can you recommend? And I rattle off a few things. And if, if I say Three Identical Strangers, they're like, oh, my God, I've heard of that one. I really want to see that one. So it has a really good sales pitch, I think, doesn't it? Because yep. it's basically um, about these three strangers who, who are reunited um, under sort of astonishing um, circumstances um, because they were all born identical triplets and separated at birth and adopted out by different families and they sort of find each other again at at sort of 18, 19 years of age and it starts off that just uh, two of them find each other by chance. One starts going to the university that his sibling has just left and everybody's like, oh, you're back, you're back. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's not who's Ben. I don't know. Oh, I forget the guy's name. And um, so they figure out that he's got this identical twin and that becomes big news. And this is sort of the late 70s, early 80s um, and it's all over the media and they've sort of become celebrities of such because they're absolutely identical. Um, and then a third one comes out of the woodwork and um, is like... So- bizarre. So bizarre. And this third one is like, well, hang on a minute. They look a lot like me. Yeah. (laughs) What I thought was hilarious is that that it was the hands that were the giveaway first. That They said, they're my hands. I'm like, look at your face. It was interesting because they were clearly... Did they have six fingers? (laughs) That's the giveaway. That's the giveaway. (laughs) It was clearly a big thing in the States because, you know, they were on Donahue and everything. They were partying at Studio 54. So I think maybe being in Australia we had that separation. Um, But this has a huge buzz around at Three Identical Strangers and same, I know a lot of people are really keen to see it. And I kind of felt a little bit down Me by too, it, Sally. to be honest. Me too. Yep. Uh, it had everything that I love in a doco, like mm. what you were saying, um, Jinx, Capturing the Freedmans, I love all that kind of stuff, but it just, it felt like... The trailer was better than the doc. Absolutely. I mean, like, there was potential, though, too, because, look, there is other twists that happen. And the filmmaker has, like, you know, Tim Wardle's the director and he's... You know, he's thought about the plotting of it. He's thought, um, okay, I'm only going to give this information now and then I'll tease out this other little piece of information Mm -hmm. until you sort of actually end up somewhere very different. It actually hones in on the nature versus nurture debate toward the end. Yeah, and that ends up being the big key focus of it is nature versus versus nurture. nurture. But I actually think there was like it just lacked um, exploration. It didn't really tease anything out, did Mm -hmm. it? And it was so much repetition of footage, particularly that Donahue footage that you're talking of. I know, like we all smoked the same cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Like that was in it 50 times. 50 times. (laughs) I don't want to see that piece of footage again. Um, And there was some really cheesy reenactments as well, which I didn't appreciate. (laughs) I love cheesy reenactments. Do you? (laughs) Then this is a film for you, Steve. But yeah, it is it is interesting. And there is actually there's also something very dark in this film that that, that they skim over the surface of. I felt that too, because I thought, okay, it's getting meaty now. This is the going and it 
didn't happen. It didn't happen. That was really interesting. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know why they sort of sidestepped that one. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. It's interesting how these three characters unite and haven't grown up together and then, you know, start this celebrity career together and then it all kind of unravels. So there is, it is very intriguing. It's very salacious or something, isn't yeah. it? I think that's maybe yeah. why people are interested. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. It's, it's worth watching. Yeah. It's not a bad doco. Not by at all. Any no, means. no. And it is very interesting, I think, particularly for us that we aren't aware of, you know, their influence sort of in mm. New York in, you know, the early 80s because mm. it, it, it's all brand new and mm. it is an insane story that it these is. three triplets would find each other. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it didn't quite. No, it could have opened up. up into a much bigger yeah. story and it just didn't go there. Mm. Yeah. Three triple. One of my standouts so far is Hagazusa or A Heathen's Curse. Hagazusa. You've seen this as well. Yes, I have. So it's been, there's lots of comparisons with this so far with The Witch. Um, Which, I find that witch. Yeah, it's just because they're both kind of folk horror. Because they're folk horror and about witches. They're really nothing similar. That's what I I felt. I found that really, yeah, Yeah, I I felt them very separate films. Um, Both excellent films. I've loved them both, but very, very different films. Um, Really gorgeously paced, three acts. It's yeah, Hagazuzo is worth seeing. What did you think of it, Emma? I thought that it was an exercise in atmospherics and precision. I think it's the most perfectly precise film that I've seen this year. It's incredible. The atmosphere is just gobsmacking. It's, it's beautiful on the big screen. Everyone should see it on the big screen. Another one that um, has some confronting imagery in it yeah, or where it, is, where yeah. it leads to. But, um, yeah, incredible film. Just go and wallow in this. Didn't seem gratuitous or anything like that. No, 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 no. Just, you it's know. a perfect, um, it's a perfect con- uh, continuation of the narrative yep. where it goes to. Mm. It's for a reason. Yeah, and that's say. absolutely gorgeous to look at. Um, so, yeah, that has been one of my outstanding ones from Night Shift so far, but I think next week we'll be talking about quite a few more films from the Night Shift sidebar mm. at MIF. Um, on the opposite end of the scale, you saw... Completely. <laughs> very, it's part of the school program, I believe. Yeah, and so this morning I went along to Acme with a whole bunch of school students, oh. quite a few on their phones. Um, <laughs> Did you tell them? Oh, oh, no, I didn't because there were so many of them. <gasps> they outnumbered you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, so this was Big Fish and Begonia, directed by Zhuan Liang and Chun Jiang. Uh, it's been a decade in the making and it's a huge hit over in the, uh, um, at the box office in China. Uh, sort of the MIV program builds it as a spirited way in reverse, which what is what immediately grabbed me. Um, in reverse? In reverse. What do you mean by reverse? I still don't really know. Okay. Um, but so, <laughs> so just something to suck you in. So many yeah. films. Films, though, say, oh, this is just like Spirited like, Away, but yeah, it's not. And it never really, is like Spirited yeah. Away. <laughs> I'm always completely well, disappointed. Hazagusa wasn't like The Witch. Yeah. Yes. Yet I they am. said that. You know, <laughs> but, so. I mean, but I, it's a very spiritual film. Okay. Uh, so it engages in a lot of sort of uh, Taoist myth making. Um, and sort of, uh, so I was one of those films where I immediately wanted to go read about it and read a lot of the references and because uh, I know there's another layer of meaning there which mm. I might not be getting because it's sort of, it's just... A culturally a, specific. Culturally specific that I don't yeah. get, which, but I love that though. Me too. Um, it is visually stunning. 
uh, the sort of the work that has gone into this film is incredible. Um, the narrative gets a little convoluted towards the end. Um, I got a little lost, but because it was so visually beautiful. Um, it, I didn't mind. Like, it's, it's stunning. It's a great mm-hmm. film. Yeah, I was excited to see this one too. How old were the kids at the screening that you went to? I'd, I'd be curious uh, to know. I, I'm, I, I, I can never age them. Oh, <laughs> prim- primary school? No, like, high school. I think high school. Because, yeah, the thing I, I don't, I've got this sort of gripe with animation because I, I used to work in animation and mm. I know that there are purists and stuff around dubbing, you know. Um, but I think when it's a, you've got a children's program, it's pretty, it's hard to, I would like to take my daughter to this film, for example, but mm. she's Five or turning six. This was the English dubbed version. Oh, they've got an English yeah, dub. They the do. Oh, version. that's fantastic. Because yeah. I I read on the program that mm. it w- it wasn't that it was all subtitles, and I thought, oh god, mm. I can't take her. That's yeah. fantastic that they do that. There I you think. go. Yeah. But, but take I do, your but kids. I, but yeah. I, but I do know so there are a lot of people who are the complete opposite, where they yeah want they want the, the, original. the original. Yeah, version. and I appreciate that. But when it's animation, I think you can sort of mm. a five year old's not going to be able to keep up with subtitles. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. No, and you want to enjoy the visuals too. You don't want to be reading. You want to like really enjoy what all that work they've put in mm-hmm. sorry yeah. Something else that we've got that he's always visually excellent is Terry Gilliam's new film, yes. The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yes. So Lisa and Stu, you both saw this, didn't you? Part of the headliners. This is possibly the most infamous example of development development hell in film history. <laughs> yes, um, I think 25 years in the making. Actually, the start of the film has a little disclaimer. And now, after 25 years of making and unmaking a film by Terry Gilliam, and that's how it introduces a film, which is sort of a nod to his Monty Python past too, I think. Um, so so it's sort of very tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? I um, Yeah, so Gilliam's unsuccessfully attempted to make this film many times over the past 25 years and now we've got the final product, which um, commenced for principal photography 17 years ago, which I find hilarious. I don't know if any of that footage is in this made it into this film because there's been so many cast changes in that mm. time. How old was Adam Driver? Was in that's right. So Adam Driver plays um, the, the, the um, Sancho Panza character. So the film is basically um, a sort of a, a retelling of the classic novel Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes, um, and it's sort of t- and it's just given the Gilliam treatment. Um, so it's also about um, Adam Driver, who plays this sort of hotshot um, film director who's making a vodka ad in La Mancha, um, <laughs> which is quite hilarious as a, pre- as a premise. Um, and then he has this sort of, um, I don't know, psych- psychotic breakdown where he sort of remembers being in La Mancha 10 years ago making his first student film about Don Quixote where he's hiring all the villagers. And um, uh, the, who's the main villager played by Stu? He's in... Um, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. Who's um, brilliant. Who, he was amazing. He's so very funny. hilarious. He, he's in yeah. Brazil, um, one of Gilliam's mm. earlier films. Um, so he plays Don Quixote and uh, Driver's character... Uh, goes back to the village where he made the original and finds all these characters and Don mm. Quixote and has not broken character since. And so it's very much like, a you know, it's like it's a film about filmmaking in a lot of ways, um, but it just gets absolutely chaotic as Gilliam's films do. Yeah, a hot mess. A hot mess of narrative. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and a bit long. A bit long, yeah. Bit long. I, I like, It was know, a Sunday night. Yeah, it was a Sunday I night. I to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I don't know, for a film that's taken this long to make, like half of it sticks, you Huge know. Huge pleasure being able to sit there and watch it, though. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I just love his Definitely hallucinogenic camera oh, angles and 
style. So yeah. He's just still got that, like, he's got such a blind spot when it comes to women, and that's my biggest yeah. gripe oh, with this. Yeah, definitely. It, there, yeah. there are only whores and virgins in this film, yeah. and I'm just like rolling my eyes. I'm like, and one really? Old witch. <laughs> and one old witch. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm just like, it's just so untimely. You've just like, covered me and all yeah. of that. <laughs> well, g- going from maybe no women to women filmmakers, Emma, you saw the scene and unseen. I did. I saw the scene and unseen, which is just glorious. Completely different film to what we've been talking about. I love this, the way we're just, you know, contrast. It's gorgeous. <laughs> this is a film that you kind of float on the wind of this film, literally. It's just got... Um, the sound of wind and um, and countryside and and it, it it's an Indonesian film, but it specifically and this hasn't isn't mentioned enough. I'd feel I feel is it's set in Bali, which is a second home for me, and um, it's very Balinese in its 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 detailing. I think that we have a tendency here to talk about Southeast Asia as a homogenous culture, and um, you know Thailand will throw Thailand will throw. Laos, you will throw Cambodia or Indonesia into the mix. Well, this is even specifically narrowing down to a, a certain Indonesian culture and, and the Indonesian, um, the, the Indonesian nation is full of very different cultures. As Balinese, not many people realize this, but they're even a predominantly a very different religion to the rest of Indonesia. So they're animistic Hindus. Mm. So they take their cues from the Indian Hinduism, but this is much more nature-based. So this film really capitalises on this. And people who've been to Bali, some will be able to pick up on it. Some who've spent their bar, their time in um, ladyboy bars in Kuta probably don't, won't. But they have things like the offerings and the little um, the the little strings that you see around their 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 wrists, which are in uh, red, black, and white, which show that they've been to ceremonies. And this film centres on two children, and they're identical. Well, not they're not identical twins. They're boy-girl twins. But <laughs> and one gets ill. And it's basically about this separation of siblings because the girl is um, trying to deal with the grief and the understanding that her, her brother is seriously ill and letting go of him. But it has these beautiful, beautiful performance sequences that are actually um, choreographed by a Balinese choreographer and they're all of uh, her initially with her brother and then by herself imitating the animals she sees around her. It's a totally hypnotic, amazing film. Wow. Yeah. I'll see that one. And to finish up, one more final film very, very quickly, which one is minute. another headline, <laughs> which is Gus Van Sant's <laughs> new film, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. So, should we speak take review. it away? All right, Gus Van Sant's <laughs> film, uh, he, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, based on John Gallahan's autobiography, who's a comic, uh, sort of a cartoonist, and uh, basically sort of detailing his alcoholism and his uh, quadriplegia. Um, great cast, Rooney Mara, Beth Ditto, who I love uh, um, and um, Jack Black has a really powerful scene in it where I always kind of saw him as just this sort of goofball of a sort of an actor but he's a really powerful actor mm. uh, when, he's, when he's given great direction um, the filmmaking filmmaking itself is a bit shoddy though um, a bit rough around the edges uh, though a very sort of a sentimental film though so 
enjoy it. Mm. Okay, now that we've gone through about 15 films, um, you've been listening to Plato's Cave, a first of two myth specials on 3 Triple R with Lisa Kovacevic, Stuart Richards, Emma Westwood and myself, Sally Christie. Every film that we have talked about on tonight's show is still screening at MIF, so check your guides for session details. Some are still on sta- uh, maybe on standby, but you should be able to get tickets if you get there early. Um, a huge thank you to Faith Everard for editing Plato's Cave podcast. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.